and you know there'll there'll be a certain number of that and maybe we can squeeze a couple of hundred bucks out of those people but you know as i say all the time i can guilt you into giving something one time but the lord will inspire you to give in, in perpetuity Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Matt Kennedy is tracking Kodiak bears across the Alaskan outback, (laughs) and we'll be back with us next week. How are you, J.D.? Doing great, Nick. Good to see you. Glad to hear it. So, I've been asked to vote, shown how to request a mail-in ballot, and pointed at my local early voting sites about 765 times since we last talked. Have you voted yet? Are you a righteous man? No, I'm going to vote in person um, twice, of course. I got a (laughs) mail-in from Louisville um, that I'm going to mail back to help you out there. But no, I'm just kidding. But no, I'm going to vote in public, in person. I have not missed uh, a presidential election, at least since... um, since becoming an adult. So I'm excited about yeah. that. Yeah, and we were registered in North Carolina back when we lived overseas and it was like one of the, you know, it was hot state back then too. So I remember Liza's parents were like frantic that we would <laughs> get, get our, our mail-in ballot back. And of course they don't even count them till then unless they have to, you know, right. but um, yeah, I'm excited. We have a polling, polling uh, station here at uh, Christchurch. So. Oh really? That's convenient. Nice. Yeah, well, it's convenient. Um, I actually don't think I'm assigned to it, but um, right. it will be interesting to see all enough. of the. I'll be interested to see all of the various um, signage and um, how close they're allowed to stand and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and there's you know there's people watching, make sure that uh, you know there's nothing nothing untoward or yeah. no. Um, so it's I love watching. It's a, I mean, as of now, as of yet, and there's always the future, but it still remains, you know, an amazing miracle, this bloodless, you know, transfer of power, uh, you know, or, or maintenance of power, whatever the case is, it's, it's really quite something, as I always pointed out to my friends in Europe, um, you know, we have, um, we've seen other ways of sort of ordering our countries and, and dealing with our differences. And as of yet, you know, except for the one exception, obviously, back in the 1860s, we have um, for, for a long time um, been able to do this. And I pray, whatever the outcome is, that that will at least uh, continue. And I know I'm not alone in that on either Amen. side of the aisle. Yeah. So Lord have mercy. Amen. Well, let's transition to our topic for this week. We're going to talk about stewardship. Uh, We here in Louisville just had our annual parish meeting on Sunday and kicked off what I call our Not a Stewardship Campaign campaign. And you've... Sort of were able to keep the um the I'm, I was had a joke but I couldn't I couldn't it was a joke about them trying to throw you out. <laughs> you were able to, That's able not to funny. Thwart, thwart the overthrow attempt one more time. One more time I put I the rebellion down. Fired already. One, one That's good. swift stroke. So every year, churches of every stripe across the country start during the fall, usually, to ask their parishioners to make a financial commitment to the church in the upcoming year. This is the traditional stewardship campaign, what amounts to a fundraising drive. There are, of course, biblical mandates to give of your time and talent and financial resources to God. That's another phrase I actually have an irrational hatred of, time, talent, and treasure. I can't bring myself to say it. Consonants. 
time. <laughs> but churches treasure. do this in all kinds of different ways, uh, from churches that are so well off financially that they can pretty much skip the whole thing, to the Mormon church on the other end of the spectrum, which allegedly sends a statement and a bill to, to its members about whom it knows everything, including their salary, etc. They do that in Europe. They do that in Europe. You have to opt out. Um, oh, wow. Registered, like Roman Catholic, at least in Austria. I know this for a fact. Um, they send you... Um, sort of a, a statement like this is what you you know i think you can choose like seven if you're listening dear uh listener from australia i mean uh, uh austria excuse me <laughs> <laughs> you know funny enough funny enough there's jokes there's t-shirts in austria on the main street that says we are not australia i mean there's 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 a huge misunderstanding sure. about austria I'm and sure. australia yeah. but at the very least i think you can choose like 10 7 5 and 3 i don't think they force you to give 10 percent, but there definitely is an expectation and i'm pretty sure the bishop or whoever will give you a call if you um if you opt out but anyway so do they know the, your salary so they know what the what the I amount. Think I think they do. That's the rumor about the Mormons is that they know what you make, so they just send you a bill. Well, that's the rumor, anyway. But anyway, I thought effective. we could talk today about stewardship, what we yep. do at our churches, what the Bible says about it, and why the church is interested in talking about money at all. That was always my father's complaint during the fall season. Why is the church talking about money all the time? So, JD, why is the church talking about <laughs> money all the time? Well, I think it's pretty clear because money is one of the most important things in anyone's life, whether you have it or don't have it. Um, it's one of the fundamental pillars of human existence, you know, sex, money, and power. You know, we sort of say these are, these are um, goods in the right hands and evils in the wrong, and they are the goods of God, which because of sin have been turned oftentimes into um, idols of our own um, worship, and therefore part of the Christian um, tradition has been to um, point out idols where they exist and tear them down. And money is um, probably, um, you know, I think they run hand in hand with sex. Um, one of the most um, uh, often um, idolized um, things in our in our lives because it represents so many things. It represents power, autonomy. Um, it represents um, or allows for um, control, um, seeming control over your life, um, which can compete with your dependence on God. And so, um, you know, the Christian tradition with money, interestingly enough, has a very um, beautiful um, uh, sort of, uh, has landed in a very beautiful place. In this book, there's a book by a guy named Peter Brown called Through the Eye of a Needle, which is a really fascinating book. And he talks about how money in particular, from a religious con uh, concept, um, has had sort of an interesting position because there's generally one of two ways to look at it. Either money is evil, you know, so you get rid of it and divest yourself, you know, in certain traditions throughout all history, like the most spiritual have been the poorest, you know, and you can still see that in yeah. like the mendicants and stuff in Christianity, but money was seen to be worldly and therefore to be eschewed, right? And, and so scripture that was one is often misquoted as saying that money is the root of all evil. That's right. The love of money is right. the root of all evil. Exactly. So you had this on one side, and you can see this throughout a lot of religious traditions. You know, the, the monks of or sort of the, the shamans or the high, you know, the, the super spiritual were the least worldly concerned, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you often see, which is obviously you can see this within Christianity itself to this day, um, those who had the most money were the most spiritual. You know, God clearly loves these people the most. You know, they have the 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 jets, the most cows. And of course, there's there's ways to read both of these 
in what jets cows and, and jets. the most cows. <laughs> That's right. He is, he is, he is, he knows he is all of the jets on a thousand hills. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but the he, shadowy um, part beyond the airport. That's not our land. <laughs> That's right. But the point is, so what Peter Brown points out, which I think is, was just, it was new. It was really interesting to me back when I was considering this is that what Christianity does is give the world back to you. This is what it does. Like it doesn't take it away from you, you know, what people think. And it doesn't, it doesn't overinflate it at the same time. So it doesn't on one hand say money is just bad because it's worldly. And on the other hand, it doesn't say money is something that you should sacrifice everything to, to take. It says what the Bible clearly says that you have been given this to whom much right. has been it's given, much is expected. And so all of a sudden the whole Christian perspective on money became one of stewardship as opposed to, ownership, as it were. And so from a Christian perspective, the reason we talk about money so much is because we have to be reminded, as the Bible clearly lays out with the prophets, you know, that routinely get killed. Um, but we have to be reminded that this is not our own, that we have, you know, as Paul says in Galatians, you know, what do you have that you did not receive? Um, and Christian people are called to lay down their lives, including their financial lives before the Lord in his service and for his glory. And so that's why, you know, the people who say the church talks about money too much, um, you know, I wonder, uh, you know, how, how sort of conversant they are with the Bible, you know, I wonder how, um, how invested they are you know, literally and figuratively in the life of their local parish, because um, I rarely hear complaints from people who are actively involved in the church about giving money to the church. In fact, it's mainly just they wish that more people would, you know, more people would um, participate and invest the way that they are, which, you know, has its own problems when it's couched that way. But nevertheless, I mean, that's why we talk about money, because God has given um, given us stewardship over his resources to use to his to, for his glory and for his church. And that's what we do. And that's really a different way of thinking at it. We're so used to and, you know, I can I can see this with my kids when they sort of add up how much of their allowance they've saved. They're thinking in, exclusively in terms of what they can buy. They look at their wallet and they think how many cars or how many toys or how, like they, they only think of what they can acquire for themselves with it. And this is really the good news about stewardship is that our giving is, as you said, a thank offering for what we've been given. Amen. And we're not buying something. We're not earning something. And so we don't have to ask a question like, how much do I have to give back to the church right. in order to be considered a good steward or in order to make God happy or in order to, you know, not make the baby Jesus cry or whatever <laughs> aphorism you like to use. We can ask ourselves a better question favorite. than that. That's your favorite one. Yeah. We can ask ourselves a better question than that, which is, as you said, now that the world has been given back to me because Christ has fulfilled all righteousness for me. Now I can ask myself, what do I want to give? How much Amen. do I want to give? What is it that I want to support that the church is doing that I am excited about? Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been in churches before where they had basically a breakdown of like, what does it cost per person yeah. um, per family to run this church? You know, and there's some, there's some, I think usefulness in that just to get people, you know, it's hard to get your head around, particularly when you're talking, you know, million plus budgets, you right, know, right. how much, well, what is my little $3,000, you know, let's say going to change or make a difference. You're like, well, here's how that would work out and work out. 
Um, but, you know, I think you're exactly right. The consumer mentality, which is part of our sinful nature, you know, what's in it for sure. me, yeah. you know, that's, a, that's part of our first question is always something we have to confess and repent of because it's a natural, it's part of our sinful nature that we're going to be self-interested. Um, and to a certain degree, a certain amount of self-interest within a church is, is healthy in the sense that you want to have good leadership. You want to have good transparent financial accountability. You want, you know, you don't want it to be mismanaged or, or wasted or some sort of graft going on. Or yeah, something. stolen. You know, I mean, which is, so that's nothing wrong with that to hope. That's right. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised, you know, some of these churches you hear about with these rectors have these, you know, hundred thousand plus discretionary funds. And all of a sudden they, you know, it turns out they had a, a side hustle going on in Barbados or whatever. You're like, well, that, you know, we, we want to, to protect ourselves and avoid that. But at the end of the day, you know, I tell people that you don't have to give all your money to the local church. I think there's some good arguments as to why you should prioritize your local church. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to sit before, stand before the Lord in good conscience saying um, that very thing. You, you have given me all of these things. And I have, with, with obviously with all humility and with, with as much grace as, as you need to show a sinner like me, nevertheless, in good conscience, have, have stewarded this the best way I could, you know? And of course that extends well beyond money. I mean, but you're still throwing yourself on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in that conversation. Amen. No, of course. And I think that's why some guidelines, you know, I've, I've, I've lived under the guideline, however, imperfectly in different points in our lives, Laz and I have been eight model. I don't know if Dave Ramsey made that up or if, um, or if it's just a, but I was taught, you know, back when I was in college, I guess, you know, 10% tithe, which it doesn't have to be 10%, but that has been a, um, you know, pretty standard, at least benchmark to come from. And then 10% you save, and then you live on 80%. And, you know, it's been sort of a general, way when I talk to people, I was like, look, that's just a general way of doing it. I can, does it certainly isn't a, um, a law that you have to follow uh, because people push back at the tide saying it's legalistic or it's some sort of, um, yeah. you know, that it can be um, like a, a voodoo or something. Like if you do 10%, of course, there's the promise, you know, attached to these, you know, God about bringing in your tithes and offerings and then he'll, he'll bless you, you know, so there's, <laughs> but I think that it's, it's not so much a legalistic thing as it is a, a, a faith question, you know, and it's, right. you have to consider what can you actually do? You know, what can you, how can you actually be invested? And that goes beyond just the, the, the hard numbers, because what we're really looking for is if, as Jesus says, where your, where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Um, and so it's not where your heart is there, your treasure is. That's what we would, um, you, you know, it's that where we actually find ourselves investing our resources of time, talent, and treasure, Nick. Um, well, it turns out that's what we love. You yeah. know, that's what we, I mean, think about the, think about the, the enormous monuments to people's vanity, you know, the, the hypothetically hospitals. something like their DVD collections, you know, yeah, for, for instance, or, you know, or, or, I mean, it's not all bad too. the wing of a hospital right, or, a, right. or a, a stadium or, um, you know, you name it. Um, an endowed chair at a school or a, or a library. I mean, these people, people put money into all sorts of things for their own use. And so the Lord is asking us to put our money where our hearts are, are ostensibly and fund the work of his church. And yeah. that's what we do. It is interesting that you would get pushback on the alleged legalism of a suggestion that 10% might be somewhere where you could start thinking about how much you want to give when it seems to me that the law here is actually quite clear. What, what we in our church here in Louisville take as our controlling illustration of biblical stewardship is Jesus's interaction with the rich young man in Mark chapter 10. 
who claims to Jesus that he's been fulfilling the law since he was a child. You know, no problem, he seems to be saying. And so Jesus says, oh, okay, do you want me to explain to you what the law really says with regard to your money? How about go sell all you have, give the proceeds to the poor, come and follow me. In, In other words, every stitch of clothing off your back, every stick of furniture in your house, every single thing needs to be gone. And then come and follow me. And of course, the young man goes away sad. And we would too, because that's a ridiculously high bar. That is, <laughs> that is something that no person could ever not go away sad from unless you do what a Christian has done and throw themselves on the ground in front of Christ Jesus and say, dear God, I can't do that. Save me from it. That's right. And he does that's just right. that. And then Amen. the law has come down and we are now free and, th- and it's in freedom that, as you said, some kind of guidelines are actually helpful and not onerous. Like, That's right. n- now that I'm free, help me figure out what should I do? And you can say, well, let's start talking at 10% and see where we go. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's it's funny about it. I, I think most of the conversations I've had since being ordained about this question have been people asking me, either directly or indirectly to absolve them yes. of being stingy. You know, that's like really the rich what young man, what must I yeah. do to, to inherit eternal life? Yeah. So they're like, you know, I know I have, um, you know, like I have this, all this stuff and I feel like maybe I could probably give a little bit more than $1,500 to the church, (laughs) um, you know, over a five year, you know, extended period. And, but, but, you know, I don't want to be legalistic and don't we have enough? And, you know, what if, what if everyone gave 50, I mean, it's just a litany. I need the refrigerator in my Learjet. You know, I need exactly. Yeah. And I say, listen, look, I don't really care to a certain degree. I mean, I need, we need enough to have the church run and we can run on less than we've been given, um, you know, and we can run on more than we've been given. Like, I don't know what we would do if someone gave us $50 million. Like, I don't know, you know, I guess, I don't know. I'd start, I don't know what we'd do. We'd figure it out though. But a little pride and I trust that he will continue to provide. And if he's here running booted and to be, um, you know, pared down, well then we'll do it. But but at the end of the day, this is a discipleship question for me. I mean, this, I wrote the letter last year and Ted was on sabbatical. And I said, look, you know, we, we will run on what the Lord provides for us. And right now we feel like we have enough. We have the right number of staff. We are being, you know, fairly compensated, not luxuriously. We are taking care of our people and our property. And so here's what we need. Um, if we don't reach it, then we'll make, we'll make uh, changes. But at the end of the day, this is a discipleship question because to the extent that we are offering you a opportunity to participate, actively participate in the work of this church, this is what we're asking you to do. And there's a wonderful, um, there is a wonderful spiritual blessing to that, that you take ownership of it. You actually begin to care. You know, if you participate in a building campaign, well, then you really care about whether it's yeah. being kept up or not. You, you, you do start noticing the cracks and the, water damage and you want someone to to take care of this thing that you have you have um you have become grafted into by your participation and so you know i think um you know, that is where time talent and treasure does come in because i know people like our church is a wonderful mix as as many churches are of various socioeconomic demographics and some people have much more time and actually are gifted uh sort of in carpentry or woodworking and you know they're the, in ways that they can offer that do offset the cost but they perhaps aren't giving as much you know act in in hard dollars but are offsetting that with actual time and talent which is a wonderful gift too you know i mean it's routinely here we have things like well you know the contractors said this the bid went out for this but we have a couple of guys who can get in 
and do this, you know, at a third of the cost, which is a wonderful gift. And so you don't want to be legalistic about this, but I think it's a conversation where you say, listen, here's what we think the church needs to do. This is what we're offering not out of a sense of consumerism, but out of a, of a worshipful stance before God. Here's what we need to run this church to, to be able to provide the, the outlet for worship and discipleship and edification and equipping. And, you know, go home and pray about to, to how you can participate in this financially. And, and, you know, the Lord will continue to provide through his people. And I've, I've been in a bunch of different churches now, as have you. And I think that part of the the main um, sort of temptation that people fall into is this one of scarcity about the life of the church. You know, they look around and they're like, where are all the young people? Where is all the money? Where's the, you know, the, um, the culture is so different and it's going to be really difficult to, to keep the lights on. It's like, well, you know, they've been saying that for 2000 years you know, and the lights are still on and you know, the, the buildings look different and the sizes and shapes change, but fundamentally the Holy Spirit will continue to drive people for, uh, to need to hear the word, to receive the sacraments, and to fellowship um, together. And that will be called a church, whether it can only meet in a basement, because that's just the, the what has been provided, or whether it's a giant cathedral. And so, you know, I tell people that all the time. Like, I'm not, I'm, you know, last in, first out, sort of. <laughs> Although we just hired a new youth minister, so maybe he's last in, first out. <laughs> but, um, you know, I tell people all the time, because they're worried about the lawsuits when it was there, and they're worried about the people in the future. And I say, look, you know, I mean, somebody's going to, somebody's going to be able to provide something um, whether I have to get a second job or not, but eventually, you know, as Paul writes this first Timothy, you know, the, the, the people will provide for the preaching and teaching and worship of a church somewhere. So I'm not really worried about that. Um, I like it here. So, you know, tie or get your offering in so we don't have to move, but, but um, I'm not afraid that there will be sheep who need to be fed somewhere in the world and will continue to um, trust that the Lord will inspire and, and, and have them motivated to give. Yeah. And somewhere in the world is not the same as any particular local church. And as you said, um, the Holy Spirit will do those things if the Holy Spirit is being released by the proclamation of the gospel. I mean, you... Amen. You reference um, the the urge for people to um, focus on scarcity when you know you and I spent several years, many longer uh, perhaps than we'd like to remember in the Episcopal Church, where we would often hear about we shouldn't be focused on scarcity; we should be focused on plenty or generosity. But it was it was calling a thing what it was not. It was just lying. We were, we were in fact a dying church Yes. and pretending that we weren't by not talking about scarcity. We're going to talk about plenty and generosity was not releasing the Holy spirit and allowing the Holy spirit to work. It was just lying about the truth of the matter. And so I feel yeah, like exactly. it's one thing to say, let's not talk about scarcity and talk about plenty. That's good if you're actually releasing the Holy Spirit by the proclamation of the gospel to allow the Holy Spirit to bring about what God promises, which is that his word will not return to him empty and will will flute fruit and flower and grow. That's right. 
Well, and that's a perfect example. I mean, that's, that's, you're exactly right because, you know, fruit and flowering is not something, obviously, as Paul says, against which there's no law about this. And just think about your own life. Like you open up, there, there's some causes and some things that excite you so much that your, your wallet's already open before you even knew there was a need, you know? I mean, you're just waiting for someone to say, um, you know, participate in this with me. You know, for many people, it's their alma mater, you know, their, their, their college they went to or, or a sports team that they support, you know, um, or some cause. And, and for many people, it's their church, you know? I mean, you look around and you see that where the, where the gospel has in, in inspired and excited people about it, you know, where it's um, something that they see necessary for uh, the life of their family, where it's restored their relationship with their spouse, where it's, you know, encouraging and strengthening their children, where it's, where it's healing and redeeming them. Well, then it's unsurprising that people get excited um, and don't want to see that stop, you know, and I think that's where, uh, you know, in a church, you can't force that to happen, obviously, and there's good years and bad years, and there's sowing time and reaping time and everything. So you don't want to, you know, there's some ministers that have been that have been planting for a lot longer than they want and wish they were sowing, you know. But the you that goes reaping. back reaping. Excuse me. Um, but that's the. Um, I'm obviously a farmer. I'm. I'm really. I know a obviously. lot about. I know a lot about. <laughs> I know a lot about the outdoors. Uh, you know, like I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on the recent NBA finals, and then I realized that probably what? wasn't a good idea. I haven't. Uh, no, I did. I stopped watching the NBA when Michael Jordan retired. So that was that wasn't that long ago. Was it? <laughs> 2003. <laughs> right. Well, there we go. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm sympathetic. I'm sympathetic to some cynical people who look around and they see, um, you know, ministers with private jets, you know, or, or driving Maseratis or sort of the opulence. You know, you think of Martin Luther when he was sort of the pious, you know, country monk who went to or friar who went to Rome um, on a pilgrimage and he was, you know, walked into like, Horrifying. You know, yeah, like Caligula's you know, <laughs> continuation of uh, the debauchery of, of, you know, the human heart and, you know, the opulence. And I mean, it sounds sympathetic. I think that there's a, there's, there's a conversation to be had about, about that. Um, but at the same time, the idea that people would want to, um, you know, bedazzle their church and perhaps even their clergy with, you know, this guy needs to be, um, uh, we want him to be the representative of how much we, we, you know, where all of our treasure and time goes. I mean, you know, there's a balance there and there's an interesting conversation to be had, but it's, it's difficult to have that conversation outside of the church with people because it's a different, you know, for a lot of people, people write off, um, you know, basically paying ministers at all. You know, if you're not a, a Christian, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Sure. Um, so I think that's what I've, at least when my conversations with people, I'm always sort of trying to listen for, you know, are you just complaining because you, you think that it's all ridiculous, you know, or are you actually kind of wrestling with, you know, how your money is being spent in this particular church and which is a different, you know, which is a good question, you know, I yeah, think. Because and, the truly, the truly opulent preachers, i.e. the prosperity gospel, folks, their opulence comes from the fact that they're, they're actually telling their people that they are buying something. That's right. That they are seeding something specific that they will then reap something specific, i.e. you go to a store, you give them That's your right. money and you get That's a product right. back. In this case, healing or blessing or some yes. other t- tangible refund on your money. Whereas, you know, again, we when we were in a church where the overarching structure was sort of slowly dying away, the conversations 
I was having were always about, you know, the future generations of ministry in this church is going to be tent makers. You're going to have to have another job and be a minister at the same time. And I always wanted to push back against that because ministers of the gospel have been paid for their work basically the whole time it's been happening. And as you say, there are excesses here and there, but the, the prosperity gospel is, is its own thing. We're, we're talking about the actual gospel yes. where the release of the Holy Spirit actually does engender and enliven a new heart in somebody, a heart that includes a heart of generosity that they then give and they trust that the church will use what they give for the ongoing work of that proclamation. And yes, the support of the people who are doing the preaching. Yeah, no, I agree totally with you. And I think, um, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would it be worth spending a moment or two talking about sort of how this works out in our local churches? I mean, I've tried to make this separation of generosity from purchasing explicit in our church by separating the not a stewardship campaign campaign, as I've called yeah. it from the budgeting process completely. So we talk about what our plans are for the future year, cast a vision and um, talk about what the Holy spirit is doing and will do right now in the fall. And then um, we do uh, talk about what scripture says about financial resources and stewardship. And then uh, through this season, we do collect pledges for 2021 and only after that's all over and we sort of see what we have been promised do we talk about actual line items and this is going to end up here and there's so we're not presenting to the church a list of things that we want them to fund we're presenting to the church a list of things we're excited about doing in light of the gospel and then seeing where we go is that worthwhile thing to talk about? How do you guys do it? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, to be honest, I'm just still learning the intricacies of how this church works here, but it's, it's a variation of that. We do, we do have a general budget, uh, but it's, it's sort of held lightly because, you know, some years the budget comes in um, more or less, and then there's some, but it's, there's some fungibility to it, you know? Sure. Um, so what we do, it's, it's a variation of it. We're asked to consider what we want to accomplish or what we want to do, particularly with respect to what needs to be funded next year um, and, you know, submit that. Uh, but it does, does take the general shape of what you're describing in that, like, for instance, I want to have an epiphany speaking series um, and I usually take care of most of the uh, what falls under the, the heading of adult education here personally. So we don't have a lot of overhead uh, yeah. with that. So I have basically a, a, a line item for, you know, books and some speakers and honorariums for, um, for things that I, that I hope to have. And so we'll find out, you know, if that's fully funded, then we'll have a different level of speaker, or at least we could, you know, fly people in from farther away than if, than if it's not. Um, but the nice thing is, particularly in the winter months, it's not, it's easier to get people to come to the beach, um, you know, particularly from colder locale or climate. So, um, yeah, but, you know, the most, what we do mainly, and this is something that you and I have been a part of now together um, for years now, is that it's really more about changing your entire mindset about um, giving and really challenging people 
um, not even for a final number, but more of just the entire, like we talked about in the beginning, conception of what it is that this whole funding a church actually is. Because, you know, I think probably without exception, since working in churches, since being ordained in the Church of England and then the Episcopal Church, the prevailing attitude was exactly like, what do I owe? You know, yeah. what's my, what are my dues? You know, this was like a club. You know, I know I pay the club. I pay, you know, school dues. There's a PTA. There's my local HOA and there's my church, you know. And you're like, yeah. well you know, where do we begin with that conversation? Well, we have to go all the way back. And I found that, you know, it took some years really to, to, um, to talk to people about this. And to be frank, it's taken years in my own life. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a practitioner and a, and a participant in this uh, because Liza and I, as we've gotten older and, and have by God's mercy been maturing, I think in our understanding of our need for him. So has our dependence on, on um, the church grown. And as a result, our appreciation of how important our participation um, financially and otherwise in the church, just, just as a member. And, you know, I think that's where for, for even talking about the stewardship uh, campaign is that it's, it really is probably one of the main discipleship um, roles. You know, I think that the pre-marriage counseling, you know, marriage te- teaching about how men and women are, you know, related, think about how we are related to money, you know, and parenting, um, you know, childering. I mean, these are the fundamental relations of our lives. We are, whether we have a good or bad, you know, enough or too much, uh, you know, Ephesians five and six, you look at how this is precisely how Paul lays out the <clears throat> discipleship reality of the church. You know, chapter four, he talks about equipping those saints for the work of ministry. And then immediately goes into how men and women are in marriage, how families are comported with parenting and, and um, you know, and how ultimately we are um, economically related to. And so these are the great pillars of human existence that we should be grateful to the Lord that he's given us some guidance um, in and that he promises to, to be a part of, you know, I mean, a part of our, our work is uh, to the glory of God, you know, so we give of our work out of gratitude back to him through the church. Um, and we then see conversely, you know, when we're making subway sandwiches or fixing tires or, 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 you know, being optom- optometrist or, or mowing the grass or whatever the case may be, like Luther said, you know, the person from the highest king to the lowest, lowliest um, sort of janitor can now see their work as a vocation, a calling for the glory of God. Well, how does that calling manifest, not just in the work that you do, but in giving of the fruit of that labor back to the Lord? And, um, you know, we'll just keep preaching that. I mean, you know, some people roll their eyes, you know, maybe, I mean, your people like your dad, you know, <laughs> they go, oh, there you go. That again. was a number of years ago. My, That's right. My father there is he goes again. Um, and, you know, there'll, there'll be a certain number of that, and maybe we can squeeze a couple of hundred bucks out of those people. But, you know, as I say all the time, I can guilt you into giving something one time, but the yeah. Lord will inspire you to give in, in perpetuity. And that's what we're looking for. So, you know, if we need, if you're going to sort of reluctantly, was the Lord loves a cheerful giver, you know, so yeah. the scriptures say. So, um, and, you know, there are days and there are days. So we're not, we're not trying to paint too rosy a picture here. I mean, there we're not some, asking you to pretend to be cheerful. We're promising yeah. you that the gospel will give you a new heart, which actually produces cheer. Amen. Amen. And I think that's where, you know, and that's where we just, we pray and hope and trust. And, you know, it's good to have people give their testimonies of how, you know, how their hearts have been changed. It's good to have people witness to, um, 
how much the church has meant to them, you know, how much it, it meant to, to walk through with, with people and hard times. And all of these are to the end, um, I believe, of deepening people's trust. I mean, this is what our work is, is that we are to take faithless people and, and by God's mercy um, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, deepen their trust in him, that the promise will continue to be proven true time and time again. And so as that promise is realized time and time again, despite our faithless hearts and despite our sin, we grow in our joy and our confidence. And that confidence spills over into us surrendering or laying down more and more of our life before the Lord. And that includes our families, our jobs, our, our resources, and, and yes, Nick, our time, talent, and treasure. <laughs> so, well, that stewardship sermon that you just laid out sounds like every single Sunday sermon bringing you up against your need, your insufficiency, your unwillingness to do what the Lord has asked you to do, and then proclaiming to that sinful heart a new life in Christ, which then allows the Holy Spirit to be at work and to bring out of you the thing that the, the law required anyway, that is now born in you from the planting of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, unless you've got anything else wise to say, I was going to say mm. that that pretty much brings us to the end of our time. As usual, oh, there's always more today. to say. Are you just <laughs> mumbling in the background there? I was just saying I ran out of wisdom already. Uh, just for today, right? Just for, yeah, I have to re, I have to, um, re, re up. charge. That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, if you want to keep the conversation going, I hope you'll be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Always send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We do appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks to JD. I'm Nick, and uh, we'll be back with Matt next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.